Welcome to Crossing Darkness, a podcast about role-playing games ranging from games set in the world of darkness to MMORPGs like EVE Online and everything in between. We broadcast live over Twitch and are open to answering questions from chat during the show. I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and my co-host is Motorori, who helped me create this podcast as well as a 40-person, four-table Gen Con event. Uh, hello, everyone, and today we have special guest Michael McLaughlin. Uh, Michael, how have these dark nights been treating you? Just trying to survive as best as I can in COVID world. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here tonight, too. By the way. Awesome. Yeah. Good to have you on. Definitely. Um, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. What it, uh, what got you into gaming? What um, what kind of memory road can we go down with you? Well, uh, I started out, you know, uh, in high in high school, uh, got into the Dungeons and Dragons books, and this is the '80s. And I, my my one of my earlier memories was this is actually middle school, being in Boy Scouts, and someone uh, you know, basically pulled out the D and D stuff and was playing it and explained to me, well, you know, you know, Lord of the Rings. This is like you could be those characters, and I found that very fascinating. I uh, I was obsessed with the books. And read more than more than anything else in high school, and then when I got to college, found some D and D groups, hung out, that type of thing. And just, we went from there, and that, that was part of my larger interests of like, you know, uh, reading gaming books, comic books, all that type of thing. And this is the early '90s when really just those kind of things were just they were what they were. Uh, I remembered Shadowrun coming out. I remembered uh, our played Ultra Solarian's Cy- Cyberpunk. Uh, and back when it came out, and this was in uh, 1989 in college, and we had a gaming group in my college, and I would just join up, and we did board games and stuff like that, and uh, and and yeah, we did some uh, other games like BattleTech, and and along the way, gotta just, love uh, BattleTech. Oh yeah, I, well I'm House Merrick, but I'm a 30, I'm a 3025 player as we call it. I'm not one of those people who loves the clans, and uh, we can argue about that later on, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when that started. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> was, yeah. So, anyways, but uh, yeah, House Merrick, Free Worlds League for life. So, and yeah, just uh, the gaming was, uh, you know, it was just a, a thing that you'd hang out, you made some friends, you know, have some gaming sessions, do your thing, and uh, and like I said, it was just something we did in college, and I had fun, and uh, and that was definitely about the same time in the early '90s that. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade came out and and like a steam train, like a like a freight train, just like rolled over the entire landscape and changed everything for everybody. So, Absolutely, yeah. It was yeah. Something. So you do you you started in World of Darkness with tabletop, uh, is that correct? Yes. Now uh, I'm gonna have to tell you a story here. When Vampire came out, uh, my friends that we hung out with, they were all into Vampire. I was one of those people who was always a contrarian. But also, too, when I was ever since I was a kid, I, I never liked vampires. I was a werewolf guy, so I waited patiently for Werewolf the Apocalypse to come out. But I mean, I did play with my friends. Uh, I did play a couple sessions vampire, but uh, and I remembered first edition. But yeah, werewolf that was my game that I got into. Grabbed it the first day it came out, was in love with it. So, but yeah, was aware of it. Was aware of vampire. We we did some sessions, uh, you know. And I remember when it came out too. Uh, thinking to myself, uh, I remember the joke actually. People talked about it. It was like. Well, what is this? A game where you just hang out in a bar talking to people all night? But the game came out, sold out very quickly. I remember my local game store, like uh, they were selling it out very quickly, sold out the other books. And pretty soon, it, it, you did see the landscape changing because the vampire players, 
Uh, like I said, they were distinctly different from the D&D players. I mean, some D&D players got into it, but most really, really weren't into it. But it was kind of, it was a more, um, the more literary types, the more, uh, the English majors instead of, say, the engineering majors, not to, you know, we're, we're more into Vampire the Masquerade. So, you know, you notice that very quickly and, uh, and, and, it, and it took off very quickly. Uh, and uh, what I noticed on my college campus, just you, you saw uh, gaming groups and it was, a, it was a different type, but like, a, not no pun intended, like a new blood coming into, uh, <laughs> into gaming. So Absolutely. Yeah, so did uh, so? What kind of LARPs uh, did you get involved in? Was that the werewolf LARPs, or were um, did you do a variety of different kind of LARPs? Um, I had organized a convention at the Arizona State University in 1994, 1990, yeah, late '94, called Realicon. And uh, during that time, uh, I had met some people who were trying to put together a LARP game. And found out that there were just like uh, there was a LARPing community that was starting up in Tempe, Arizona, and they were basically about uh, 20, 30 players, and they were putting together their own uh, uh, game. It was really like a whole city with a prince and a privileging council and and everything, and uh, basically uh, got into that. Found it to be really interesting. Uh, it was it, and found it really interesting in that it was more like interactive theater than just sitting around rolling dice and trying to power monger or whatever, as, as you might call it. It was just people just acting things out. And oftentimes, uh, and in those days, it seemed like people were more interested, and in, I'm talking about the about 95-ish, more interested in just, hey, let's just try to act out this scene, or hey, let's just try to do this. Uh, it was more like a lot of very theatrical people that were uh, that were into the early LARPing scene that I discovered at uh, when I, in my college days. Um. As time went on, 96, 97, uh, you, you would see just larger and larger groups creating whole cities. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, like the, they would, these cities would start interacting with each other, traveling to each other's games um, with uh, ongoing games that would meet every week or every month. And then you had organizations like by 96, uh, I remember One World by Night, finding them on the internet. And they were uh, an attempt by uh, gamers in Washington, D.C., in the North Virginia area specifically, and in Chicago to link their continuities and create a unified uh, game where people could take characters back and forth. And so that was my experience as well. And by that time, I had been uh, organized my own werewolf LARP on the ASU campus, and we had run that for a couple of seasons. And basically, uh, we joined. I joined up with One World by Night, and uh, from there, just basically, I participated in a few of their events, and just kind of watched the the growth of that, and and the growth of these organized networks of LARPing. Uh, One World by Night, and then uh, by '99, I also saw the Camarilla Fan Club was really expanding, going from a less. It had started out as a literary organization, uh, where we might call it like people fanficking their. Um, their characters and but uh then by like uh 99ish i uh, got in contact with them and noticed and they were now taking the larp rules and organizing their own larp games based on what they would call chapters and domain a chapter being a minimum of five to ten player people uh interact with each other domains being multiple chapters regions uh all the way up to a, a national level uh role play so that was my experience in the larping was that you had the one world by night and the Camarilla Fan Club, which were kind of like the, the two competing organizations for a while there. Interesting. So, and you and you ran uh, 
you ran one of the um, LARPs for um, these communities as well? Oh, multiple. Uh, but I started out, I ran uh, uh, a game in, at the ASU campus called, and I called it Rage Across the Southwest. We ran that in 95. Um, when I joined One World by Night, I uh, became their werewolf coordinator and had worked to organize some of the werewolf games and uh, also worked, uh, I lived in the Sh uh, Kenosha, Chicago area for a little while in 97 and attended some games there in Chicago and Kenosha and then uh, also organized uh, werewolf games up there, uh, but also attended a lot of the vampire games and then moved back to Arizona in 99. And... Uh, uh, 99, 2000, uh, got active with the Camry fan club and helped to uh, organize their Phoenix domain, uh, which, uh, uh has multiple, has grown and mutated multiple times, but back then they had no domain in Phoenix and I helped to organize that. So that was, that was just, you know, like I said, so like I said, yeah, these LARP games, they would, they would live, grow and die, you know, like kind of the circle of life. And, uh, yeah, so I would play in them and sometimes I would organize them, but I definitely, I'd organize them. Um, when the uh, Changeling rules came out, uh, I, alongside with the uh, girl I was dating at the time, uh, my fiance at the time, we organized the Changeling LARP for the Camry fan club called Arcadia in the Desert. And uh, we wrote up uh, like the city background for it and ran games for it at a friend's house. And uh, let's see. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so and then with Wraith 2, we tried doing uh, like an online version of that uh, game, uh, online LARP using the Wraith rules, which had come out by like 99, no, 97, I'm sorry, because they had done uh, uh, Wraith LARP rules for uh, with extended static challenges and like for um, White Wolf. And uh, I, I, I tried organizing and running some of that called uh, uh, for Phoenix as well. So, uh, yeah, we had multiple games going in Phoenix. We had uh, Changeling. Um. Yeah. So do you yeah, have we did, any? We uh, do you have any good, really good, like, uh, st like what, like memories of, if, you know, going down memory lane here? Do you have any kind of like stories that stand out that just are like, wow, this is like this crazy thing that happened during one of the LARPs or one of my tabletop, one of your tabletop games? Well, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna have to go back down to memory lane about a lot of things. Um. Well, I don't know if this is a, a brag or not, but I was the first person to figure out what a shotgun did in the LARP rules. And I wasn't trying to power game with it, but there was a scene where the prince was trying to go after my Malkavian character uh, because uh, he, he had been, he had figured out, I'd talked to all the other players in the game, and this was in the Phoenix LARP in 95. And long story short, I figured out how to use the influence rules where we could all cool influences and start buying things for each other and start, you know, helping each other out in the game. And the prince got angry at that. And then someone told me, oh, we see. And they had some weird plot line where the prince had a pet werewolf. And someone warned me. He's like, he's sending his pet werewolf in the brujah to kill you. And since I I just told the storyteller ahead of time, hey, I'm just getting a shotgun with Dragon's Breath rounds. And I'm just going to, like, hang out by my trying to get into my limo. <laughs> and all the, all the brujah and the prince's pet werewolf there's like like 10 players all surrounded me trying to come up at me and I just rock, paper, scissored. And because it's aggravated damage from a shotgun at less than five feet, which is two levels of damage. And back then in those LARP rules, uh, four, four levels of damage and you're in torpor. I was just like bump, 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 dropping all the bruja. At one point, I finally, the storyteller was like, I'm going to have to declare he gets away or else the entire bruja clan is going to die tonight. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> the Prince player was not happy about that. That so. is, yeah, that is crazy. How long? How long did you uh, play in that game? Uh, not much longer after that. <laughs> I, I imagine so. <laughs> you murdered half the players. Well, no, I torpored the Bruja, and then the and then the werewolf ran away. But okay. uh, yeah, they were rather upset that they couldn't. Uh, but like I said, I mean, it's only because I had empowered a large number of other players by explaining to them, "Hey, look, there's these things in the game called influence, and you can do these things. You can buy buildings, you can buy a business, you can you know, do more than just get a gun, which it seemed like ninety percent of the player base wanted to do, right. without understanding the larger, yeah, <laughs> way the game was played. So that's the one story I remember. Um, and then, uh, uh. Well, and then this is from a werewolf lark, but I remembered one night, um, you know, just took up a couple of players and we actually did what I called an umbral trip around uh, the Arizona State University campus. We explored what the campus looked like. I explained it to them and their characters were very interested in discovering that there was a spiritual side to things uh, what the, you know, what the uh, engineering building looked like, what the trees looked like, that kind of thing. So they had lots of fun with that. Oh, and then another story from uh, Kenosha werewolf larp um, when I ran it was uh, you know, we had, uh, I had another storyteller who would just run most of the game, run the plot lines, and I would sometimes pull a player aside and just say, look, um, I'm going to take this player, we're going to go uh, go for a walk around the building. And we just go outside, and I would take them on uh, personal plot lines, maybe an Umbral Quest. Um, I had a sound strider, and I had him go into the Shadowlands and uh, discover um, uh, some things about uh, the local rates, and he almost got sucked into a nil, and then a ferryman yanked him out. And he and I told him basically because of how he role played it that he could uh, he would take that he had uh, been awarded the guardian angel merit merit and that guardian angel was literally that ferryman uh, named Lotharius. That's and epic. I just, yeah, well, it was great too because after I'd left Kenosha, they they had a wraith storyteller, and the stuff and the player was really nice. Is the Ernest Jungson Stratum Gideon, and he wound up in the vampire LARP where there was some storyline with some wraiths specters that were uh, assaulting the. Uh, uh, Elysium, and they went to the Shadowlands, and a bunch of players did some stupid stuff and got sucked into uh, the Tempest. And then he and uh, the the storyteller wrote to me and said, "So he says he's got a ferryman that can help him." I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's got the Guardian Angel Mirror. It's a fair and it's a ferryman that uh, he helped out and that helped him out." And he's like, "No, that makes total sense." He said that that, that it, that's the, probably the only thing that saved his character from getting obliterated that night. So thank you for letting me know. So. <laughs> So, but yeah, basically because yeah, he had uh, he had uh, braved the tempest and everything like that. He had gotten that mirror, and it saved his character later on after I'd left the LARP. So that was something I was uh, I was happy to know. Yeah, and I, and I, I was one of those players. I was obsessive compulsive. If if a wraith continuity entered into a game, I had to learn everything about wraith. If uh, there was mm. stuff about werewolves going on, I had to know everything about the werewolf game. And I knew, and I was obsessed with werewolf to begin with. <laughs> um, same with vampires. Same with changeling. Um, so just like, uh, there was a while there, I was like a walking encyclopedia of those, of those games back when they started. So yeah, it was kind of spooky. I was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I suppose if I had met my early younger self now, I'd be like, you're way into this, but, uh, I, I just enjoyed doing <laughs> it and thinking about these things. And, uh, and, and like I said, I, I looked at it as a way of exploring my writing and that helped me to later on, um, uh, co-author a book for White Wolf, uh, The Prince's Primer, which, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, you'll find it on Amazon. I'm proud of it. So. It is yeah, tell it is. us a little bit about that. What what was that book about? 
Um, basically, uh, I'd been in contact with them. I've been sending them some book proposals uh, for different things, and I'd gotten in contact with Jennifer Harshorn, and she just said, "Look, I had the author of this drop it uh, this project at the last minute. And I'm looking for a pro proposal for the Princess Primer, and I'd sent her some ideas, and they needed to throw something together quickly. And Alan Tower was the other author, and he lived in Atlanta. And I said, "Here's the idea, um, just to put this book together. Let's write it as if it were a cache of papers." that someone finds upon taking over a city after a violent takeover. And it's letters, pamphlets, it's, uh, it's, it's recorded conversations, and it's all sorts of things like that. And that's what we did. And I just sat down. I wrote some stream of consciousness things. I did an actual in-character interview with someone from a LARP, uh, and that became a manifesto on taking over a city. Um, and we just threw together uh, different things, throwing together ideas, um, and uh, just uh, some different uh, ideas of just... You know what uh, what type of things the kindred would almost as as in the pre-internet or consider this like a like a Reddit page of of uh, you know uh, people ambitious kindred is throwing together ideas of well if I was taking over a city what would I do well what would you do about this what would you do about that and I had influences at the time um, you know uh, reading a lot of political theory uh, things like Hobbes Leviathan things like that. And the whole idea was just throwing this together and, and of just these ideas of, of, Hey, like kindred have politics and they have very intricate politics. And how you, would you explore these things and how would you, uh, you know, look at these things. So I wrote it off and it got published, came and went, uh, you know, like I said, it was my little itty bitty claim to fame, but my thing was like, I thought about these things. This was my way of expressing that. And I am thankful for the opportunity that they gave me. If you, if you could kind of sum up, what, what do you think one of the, like the, the best ways to kind of sum up some of the like good highlight pointers or, or tips and tricks that you kind of um, do in that book. Um, well, among other things, as I wrote down what I called were uh, just basically, I went over different uh, ways of uh, understanding influence and using it, how to that, that, uh, that you need to, I wrote a, the manifest on taking over city was as if a Bruja anarch was trying to become Prince and it's written from his, idealistic point of view i wrote uh, something called the 1995 st louis conclave which was basically this idea of that the kindred had gotten together and were looking over you know what the relations between themselves and the rest of the world of darkness was i even put a little easter egg in there flat out stating that um per the rules of the 1995 st louis conclave a tremir chantry is domain accountable only to the tremir clan and even a prince cannot help hold authority there meaning that if a tremir brings his apprentice into a conclave and in, into a chantry and embraces it even the prince can't nullify that under the right of creation so that was just a little easter egg i threw in there and of course people are like oh my god is that valid i'm like i don't know is it it's your game <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting awesome so if you ever want to run a game and someone's tremere is like well i'm going to sire my apprentice right here in the chantry it's like no the prince says you can't it's like well is <laughs> one of those little easter eggs you can throw in there uh like i said there's lots of, and there's lots of stuff like that flowing around there of just like you know and and i like to think that kindred society is just like the order of hermes is in mage uh or ours magica just like uh it's built on lots of laws and precedent and legal understandings and just you know thick books filled with all sorts of uh understandings and all sorts of uh legalese and that is an aspect of the game that i think people don't really play up enough and I, I it's too bad because that is i think a much cooler aspect of the game than just uh you know let's go send 20 bruja to attack this guy so yeah no i i've I, I always found the political aspect of um the world of darkness and especially vampire the masquerade to be 
just awe inspiring. Um, like when I when I started my really uh, the work on my huge forty person um, tabletop game that we ran that we ran for three years at Gen Con, I had started um, like building the ideas and one of the base foundations that I had for it was running a vampire game um, at, at Gen Con where I just wanted to be like, okay, I'm going to get, everybody is going to be playing tabletop. I'm going to get like six, seven, I got six people together, one for each one of the clans. And then the Tremere was, uh, got killed during the, the, the very beginning of the game. The beginning of the game is the characters coming together as the other, or as the other primogen and trying to figure out why did this person die? And then also discovering that a bunch of other supernatural creatures, uh, like the like leaders of other supernatural creatures, have also died as well, or or prominent members, um, and that there was this big tie-in of like, you know, each one of the characters kind of knew some some NPC that they could get a hold of to get some information about stuff, and everybody was trying to use it to, you know, politically move themselves into positions because. Then, you know, it was all about, you know, okay, there's um, Justicars that are coming to the city. There's this crazy supernatural, like, evil that's trying to, like, take over, destroy the world. You know, like, it was just this one-shot kind of game that I did. And it just, it blew my mind um, because I'd never really, you know, I played a lot of, and ran a lot of vampire games. But we played, up to this kind of point, we would played a lot more of a D&D style kind of uh vampire masquerade kind of games and when i got to see just six people sitting at a table throwing notes at each other pulling each other aside scheming backstabbing trying to murder the justicar that's coming into the city to cover up shit that they've been doing like it was just it was just a phenomenal game and i just had a lot of fun with it um and it just blew my mind that's outstanding um you know how political like this game could be and it gets even crazier uh, because we're dealing with the multiple supernaturals interacting with each other the vampires of course being like well we've blown the masquerade but how can we use this to our advantage because that's the first thing vampires always think of the werewolves all trying to figure out okay well how does this figure into our wharf to save gaia Mm -hmm. and technically in the weirdest sense of the may of, of things the mages, especially the Order of Hermes, are going to look at all the other supernaturals as either their pets or something that they're going to have to eradicate as quickly as possible. But mainly their pets. It's like, well, okay, well, I guess we can we can keep them for a while. Yeah, the so it's just weird how the politics kicks in. <laughs> yeah, and I always kind of put personally, I kind of put uh, mage at uh, the hierarchy of politics to a certain degree of like. Yep power scaling of like you know what organ you know and, and the technocracy above all else is like until you get to 1999 where the avatar storm changes up the game um and then mage comes knocks gets knocked down quite a bit in the power scale and it might become one of the weakest uh depending on how badly you just ravage the the mages during the the avatar storm um that's actually a story I could share. I remember a player telling me that of like when we had, were LARPing in 96, I remember we had a conversation about that because you, you'd have the usual suspects start talking about, we should do a mage LARP. And I, I would point out, you know, the problem with the that is with the vampire LARP, it might be something like, oh, hey, the airport's been shut down. How's that going to affect the kindred in the city? Oh, no, we can't get in. We can't get out. We have to negotiate. Oh, no, uh, we have to get our money. We have to get our influences. We have to do what we can. You can't really put mages into a panic telling them that the airport's been shut down i mean someone goes okay fine correspondence three i'm gone 
Or <laughs> in, in, in the scope, literally, literally, the scope of the game is something like, okay, I'm going to go visit a realm. Let me go visit another part of the Umbra. It's like, uh, what, what? There's uh, what? There's 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 people vanishing. I don't care. I mean, literally, the scope of mage is so it blows your mind so much that the things that would put panic into a mage are way beyond uh, the things that vampires or even werewolves would worry about. I mean, werewolves are very set in their war for Gaia. They do. They're aware of the Umbra. But the, the scope of what mages are dealing with is, is, is just so much larger than, than all of that. The only game I would say that goes larger than mage in scope, and that's only because of how horrific it can become, is Wraith. Because you're literally dealing with just the, the, the Shadowlands and, uh, and the Tempest. And this, the, as, you, as you go deeper and deeper, so to speak, it's like peeling the layers of an onion. When you go into that stuff, it's just some things that even the mages are like, okay, even the Euthan Thanatos are like, yeah, we're not wanting to deal with this. This is some scary stuff. Um, yeah, and, and it, and it even, does depend yeah. on the mage's power level to a certain degree, because, like, beginner mages are just, you know, meat bags to a certain degree. If they only have an arete of one or, you know, two, it might be, and they're not prepared and don't know what the hell's going on, like, yeah, they might yeah. be screwed. Um, but, they, uh, but, yeah, as you get powered up in mage, it becomes crazy, um, which is why the Avatar Storm is, like, a huge thing of, like, it just knocked them yeah. down on their pedestals, knocked out all the really high arete people. Um, and so the, like the meta of the, the yeah. meta story just changes. Um, and, uh, and that's where like, we just took that and ran with it with our Madison under siege setting of like, just, we just altered the whole, like, we just changed everything after the avatar storm. But I, I do kind of, uh, I find it interesting that there's, there's also like demon, I think is pretty powerful on, um, what, and that's also a thing that only really comes out. You know, there's a little bit of it um, that can you can do some stuff before 1999, but, but you know, a huge amount of them escape in 1999. Um, and there's some fun stuff that you can do with Demon. But then once again, also, that's a big thing on power scale as well, because like the little ones, you know, the beginning characters, you can make a really weak, easy to kill angel like or, or Demon. Um I, I, I kind of got out of the world of darkness by the time Demon had come out, but yeah, I was familiar with that game, so that was some interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and then they also had um, the mummy rules, which yep. was an interesting Mummies concept. Mummies were scary. Uh, the mummy, and you make your human, and you kind of merge them. Yeah, so that was some yep. fun stuff. Yeah, first edition mummy was really crazy, um, and then they did like the revised edition um, that kind of powered them down as well. I just I, I, I like that first edition. If you kind of look at first edition yeah, for a lot yeah, of the I games, it's like yeah. it's all about like super like the, every every game line is like really powered up. And the only one that I I don't know for sure. Maybe Mike, do you kind of I don't did you play through any of the different editions of Werewolf or were you always third edition? Uh, I think I was always revised. Yeah, revised third. Yeah, um, uh, so I didn't start playing. Until I don't know if if Werewolf got got power, knocked down in the power scale but i feel like I've, uh, a lot of the game lines were basically like okay you're a little bit too powerful <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna from my personal experience stuff. werewolf was kind of a bell curve uh in that uh you started out with it being hey we're we're in the the forests and we're fighting for gaia and then as they they developed the world you had the whole the umbra and it seemed like the apocalypse was this ever-present threat, but then you saw the power levels of the werewolves go up and the the, the stakes go up. It was like a bell curve, and uh, like in the the big meta plot for werewolf was uh, uh, Jonah Albrecht going from an outcast to in the novel by Bill Bridges, The Silver Crown, uh, questing 
to uh, get the Silver Crown and rule over the Silver Fangs, becoming King of the Silver Fangs. And then, again, I'd left by this point kind of gaming, but my understanding in the meta plot was that he died in the apocalypse. So, uh, yep. the, yeah, like I said, yeah, it's like a bell curve of... Because uh, I, I kind of see that Jonah Albrecht and Mari Cabra and Evan were like the, the signature characters of Werewolf. Um, and actually, if you go to first edition, it's funny because the combat rules are uh, Albrecht walking down the street and a, a, a black werewolf like attacks him. And it's very obviously Mari Cabra and they just start tearing the, sh the, the heck out of each other in the combat rules in the first edition. Yep. I remember him. that. Yep. I, because yeah, I had. Yeah. A... You, yeah. And, and then when you uh, and then in the White Wolf magazine, when second edition came out, second edition had a cartoon, a comic they made. And it's where Evan is trying to be recruited by the Black Spiral Dancers. And uh, he runs across Albrecht, who saves him. And then Albrecht uh, says, I know someone who can help us. And he takes him to meet Mari. And Mari's about to attack him because, and he's like, hey, no, this isn't about that last fight we had. So it even references that scene of them fighting. And you, and you still want to, you, you still want to know, it's like, what the heck were they, was she so angry at him for? That she jumped up at him, that she just jumped on him and attacked him in that first edition in the combat section. So one of those things we'll always wonder about, I guess she just was angry, you know, <laughs> just some, some, some ongoing feud or whatever. But yeah, and then they had the silver crown. So it was, it was interesting though, seeing that. And it was like, it was funny because in that way, like you got attached to these characters and their story and you really wanted to, to follow them and see what went on with them. Um, and then Mage had, um, you know, its characters. Uh, I remember when Mage Porthos. came out. Uh, I, I love yep, Porthos. Porthos. Dante. Dante. Uh, Dante is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it was so neat, too, just seeing him on that tarot card of that first edition of Mage. And it's just mm -hmm. him with, and it's done up as the Mage in the tarot card with the modern versions of the tools from the Mage, uh, from the tarot card. Because uh, the, the four... Um, suits from the tarot card which is the cups the pentacles uh the wands and uh and uh the fourth one but uh, those were the uh the uh and those were the modern equivalents which was like a, a, a and the coin i'm sorry and the modern equivalent which is the modern equivalent of the coin is the credit card um and the modern equivalent of the cup was the can of soda the modern equivalent of the uh, uh the pentacle was uh and they had the modern equivalent of and he had a, a pistol for the model equivalent of the sword so cups swords pentacles and coins became uh yeah credit cards keys pistol and uh credit cards keys pistol and uh, cup of soda if you look back at that mage first edition so the, the, this, awesome. is, this is kind of neat how they like wink at the at the, the conventions or at the, uh, at the at those occult uh, symbolisms. And yeah, so you had Dante. Now I remember when they had um, first edition come out. I don't mean to geek out again. I've actually still oh, got go it somewhere here. No, I've got this flyer that when it first came out, and it actually uh, talked about uh, just basically like you know the, the pure ones are gone, and uh, you hold a bit of them inside you. The idea was that your avatar was actually. A tiny fragment of the pure ones who are the almost like the mage antediluvians mm -hmm. so uh who had spun reality to their vision and then uh, were shattered and they would be scattered amongst the humans uh as uh, that spark of magic that spark of ability and and then just went into uh just how there was now the, the three factions and the traditions so you had the technocracy the marauders and the nefandi and how the traditions were just trying to hold on to what was magic against the face of these three factions trying to remake the world in their image. So it was, and then first edition was uh, an interesting kind of 
It was written by Stuart Week. It was kind of like an interesting postmodernist take on these occult things. And then Phil Brucato stepped in and he did a great idea with second edition of just really fleshing out the world. And, uh, and that was, like I said, that was, uh, I think second edition was just a classic too. And, uh, I love second edition the scope of mage. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and like you said, with major vice, just like, you know, just even the playing field and took just, you know, this, this society that had evolved off of earth of just all the masters and the oracles and the like with their horizon realms and just cutting it off and saying, okay, back to square one, you're, you're you and you, and, Literally, the other player characters are probably the only other mages in the city, and you got to figure out everything from scratch again. Yep. And sometimes that's a refreshing uh, way to play, and that was a cool way for them to do in the meta plot, especially since it was the yeah. I do have to say, I really like the 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 concept. If if you want to go that way, um, you know, you don't have to use the avatar. Like Mage Twenty makes a very you know good strong point of like you don't have to do the avatar storm if you don't want to wipe out. All of like, but our but the concept was is that yeah, mage like mage first and second edition was all about all these traditions and all these like history, this war that was going on between these technocracy and the mages and everything and and you know just just building up the lore. Yeah, yep, yep, and then but the when lore. they wiped out everything, they didn't wipe out everything. You know they. They changed everything. They they made it harder. It made it like you could maybe have less mages in the city, or you could have it be uh, you know that nobody like you said nobody you don't know you don't even know that you're a mage or what a mage really is. You kind yeah. of maybe have some. I you you have like my father was a, a order of Hermes and he's gone missing since the Avatar storm, and I didn't get to learn crap about what really the order of Hermes is. But I got all these books, and and I'm in and I'm awakened. Uh, so I guess I'm the Order of Hermes. Um. Exactly. And, uh, and and the Avatar Storm, too. I mean, it's just part of their being part of a larger world of darkness because that was when the Wraith game had come to an end, and that's how they decided to go out with a bang, was having Sharon return. And uh, basically, uh, part of his return, I forget exactly what it was, but he had fought some horrific monster that was attempting to destroy Stygia, and then Sharon ascended. Uh, transcended, I mean, and then uh, that caused the, the the fifth great maelstrom, which is what they were in. That's that's what was going on in the Wraith universe, which was transfers over to the Avatar storms in the Umbra, which uh, were messing with the mages. So yeah, that yep, was why yeah, the Avatar storms. Yeah, they Wraith, linked all yeah. those stories together. I really liked how they did yes. that, where there was like mage was um, that mages were dropping spirit nukes on the vampires that were fighting, and of course, vampire was all about that. It was an awakening of a of the Ravenos antediluvian. Uh, yes. You know, Kindred East even got in there to go that they sent people to go fight as well. Mages, um, you know, were creating a storm that would stop would allow the vampires to fight. Um, the the you know fight it out because they wanted the equation to to fight um the antediluvian and hopefully those three would be able to kick the shit out of this antediluvian um you know and they tied this all together and then they dropped the bomb um on uh enoch is another one and then the spirit news yeah like all of that and then the sharon thing um if for some reason i don't know why I'd, i didn't i don't remember about the return of sharon in... No, that was that was end of empire, and it was the, like the final. Oh race yes, supplement, but... yes, the end yeah. of empire. Well, so and that's that's an interesting thing. So I only perused a little bit of the end of empire, and that is their the end of wraith because wraith technically ends. At yeah, they that they point. ended the game line. Yeah, and then we're because you know they just you know it wasn't really a big seller. 
because and you, you have to understand like i said it's kind of a depressing game to begin with it's like you start out dead and you have this uh and if you think the technocracy is a, is a bummer i mean uh the the hierarchy is just this 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 roman fascist over government uh and if you uh mouth off or whatever they turn you into a coin you know i mean literally yep. that's what it was i mean just so, straight up like we're gonna we're gonna send you to the forges and have you forged into something and <laughs> and i'm not saying it was a bad game it's just it's its own unique uh way of looking at things and it's uh uh yeah i mean uh and and so long story short yeah go ahead yeah um so i guess perry uh um terry is uh pointing out um that it was a, a gold gold rule um, who yeah, fought Charon yeah, in the Weeping Bay yeah. during the fifth Maelstrom? Um, so, and that was so that was when he disappeared. But I think that was like the 40s or 60s or something yeah, like that. Um, yeah, 1945. Yeah, 1945. And then, and uh, then the sixth in the sixth Great Maelstrom is in the end of Empires. Charon just kind of goes poof after repelling the invasion of the Yellow Springs. Yep. Which was the uh, the Chi the Chinese or the Asian uh, uh, Empire uh, Wraith Empire, yeah, and uh, and like I said, Sharon transcended, yeah, which was uh, the 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 Wraith version of Ascension, the Wraith version of um, um, of uh, Golconda, which was the idea that you 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 transcend and you leave the Shadowlands and go to the wherever, which is not really covered in their game. I would imagine it's basically you you ascend into the uh, the High Umbra. And become uh, some kind of spirit form. Maybe in mage terms, you reunify with Prime. Yeah. However, you want to define it. One of those things they would they would say. So yeah, and that's yep. why I'm saying the scope of Wraith is just I love horrific Wraith. stuff. I yeah. I just I I I have always been drawn to Wraith, but it's been hard to find a group that would want to play Wraith. I just I love incorporating Wraith into all of my worlds, um, and then especially oh, when yeah. a necromancer comes in and it's like, okay, I'm just going to find the the true name of something and summon it. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you got to find the true name. That's not just looking up their driver's license. Um, <laughs> that's it's gonna it's gonna be possibly it's for some people maybe it is, but I mean if it's somebody important, that might not be their true name anymore. Um, or hey, you're talking to a guy who's favorite. Hey, you're talking to a guy whose favorite vampire clan is the Giovanni. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, messing with Wraith, I always, I always like to add in that messing with Wraith is, is you're actually messing with Wraith society when you're doing that. So you have to be careful of not just exactly doing whatever you know, just oh, summoning and enslaving every everything that I come. Are you kidding me? Do you do you know who you just enslaved? Like, can you enslave them? Are you sure? It's like you can do that, and then uh, the hierarchy, or uh, or the Legion of Fate, or uh, or maybe even like some specters decide to come knock and be like, "Hey, what's this? What's this, what's this guy yanking people through the shroud?" So or, yeah, or like when the the, the shadow takes over and uh, maybe doesn't uh, play by your rules as much. Exactly, exactly. So it's 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 like I said, it's its own complex, intricate game, and the scope of it is is like I said, it dwarfs even mage in the things that are so out there and there was actually a thing as i recall again not wanting to geek out here but i remember this was in the uh it was in um uh, not the book of madness or maybe it was but it was for mage called dreams of a dead thing and it basically had implied that the uh that some technocracy nefandi some barabi from the technocracy had gone deep into the shadowlands in an attempt to contact the Malfians, which are the uh, supposedly never-born, never-awakening uh, spectral lords that are at the 
Deep in the Tempest. Yep. Um, Astigia. And uh, th- this was at the same time that Sharon was fighting Garul in 1945. And at the same moment that was happening, uh, when uh, there were those Malfians were almost slumbered awake by the uh, by the beginnings of the Maelstrom, the same moment that happened, that Fandi noticed that they had lost their power. Uh, then Effendi, who were depending on uh, their power from the netherworld, had mm-hmm. lost it, which caused the Effendi to go into a panic with the realization that if the creatures they are worshipping ever awaken, not only would it cause like destruction of what would be going on, that they it would actually cause the end of uh, magic as they knew it, meaning the end of the world as they knew it. Mm-hmm. So those things can't wake up because if they do, everything unravels. So that was kind of something they implied in uh, so that the the Malfian the Malfian um, wraiths or or the Malfians deep in the uh, tempest are yep. uh, more or less yeah that's your your slumbering apocalypse your slumbering Gehana right there so some spooky things to think about but yeah that's what I'm saying wraith has got like a uh, a scale like that because even like the the most powerful uh, mages are d- don't dare tread down there uh, deep in the tempest. But like I, I also said, like how mage is up. is their interaction with the the wraith world is a lot harder for them because they're alive. Oh yeah. So to get, yeah. I mean, like from my understanding, big, it's big, usually big, not just like, oh, I'm just gonna pop over to the the un or to the umbra or to the dark umbra, you know, to the shadowlands or anything like that. Like you got to really be kind of dead, you know, like in order to get into the tempest. Like that's just that unless something special juicy, is happening. You're a big juicy meal to the specters. They're gonna want to drain you dry if you step down there. So yeah. <laughs> so, so any players who are like, oh, I'm moving out of Stygia and just like throw my weight around, I was like. Eh. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> so this is cool being able to talk to people that uh, that uh, are understanding of this stuff. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Any, any other questions y'all want to go over or anything else? Like I said, I'm I'm enjoying chatting about this. So actually, uh, I was wondering about something because I didn't know that you had been in the Kenosha area in the late. Yes, 90s. sir. Uh, I'm actually from Racine. I lived uh, in Racine. Is... Oh, okay. Uh, so. One of the reasons I got into going to conventions was because Gen Con was so close. Uh, were oh, yeah, you involved yeah. in Gen Con uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s? I went to Gen Con 97. Yeah, loved it. Um, I met Phil Bucato up there. We hung out, I hung out with him for a little bit with my fiance. We were chatting away, just talking about Mage, stuff like that, yeah. Um, it was actually funny because they were running a One World by Night LARP nearby. And uh, the guys from Montreal by Night came by. Um, these are the guys who had written it. And they were, they were drunk as heck. And uh, they they just like came by and were chatting with me and we were talk we were just talking about mage stuff talking about just like stuff in general, and it was funny because the one world by night was running a vampire larp they were kind of running an illegal larp they were just running in the in the uh, gantry or in the galley of just their characters all hanging around and uh, after we talked to Phil Bricado him and the guys from Montreal by night. Like we're like they they kind of were like oh look the larpers and they they decided to go troll them so they they were walking by and uh, they were all like uh, the, like I said the guys from Montreal by night were like hopelessly drunk and they all just like did the crinos form of just putting their hands above their head as they walked around uh, as they'd surrounded but they didn't realize it was the Prince of Chicago um, and <laughs> just everybody was like <gasps> <laughs> and they just kind of laughed and high fived each other and then just like kind of went back to their hotel rooms not realizing that they basically thrown an entire larp into a panic of like who are these guys? They came in as werewolves. They're killing us. So. <laughs> uh, it's funny because people came up to me later like, oh my God, was that like some werewolf thing? I'm like, no, those are some white wolf people that were like, uh, noticed you guys LARPing. 
<laughs> White wolf came in and it was just a bunch of werewolves from the the dark deep 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 umbra that just popped out for some reason. It's yeah. So yeah, just one of those things. Like I said, that was just a memory that I could share. I remember that that happened and just like yeah, just the, the guy that was playing the Prince of Chicago who was uh, like I said, his character is very insulated, you know, because he's the prince, obviously, and he's there thinking he's like, okay, no one's going to attack me. So the idea that a bunch of people come up to him and go Krinos. Or do the crino symbol the hands above the head it's like oh i'm about to die you know and it's like, <laughs> i just so, love that yeah. it's white wolf that did it to them too it's they were trolling a... larpers yeah it was hilarious <laughs> so just it's funny to watch so i know like that I makes say, sense to me <laughs> if i was one of the authors of uh white wolf books i would i would troll larpers too you know what? I actually remember Jess Heining. I don't know if you remember him from White Wolf, but I had asked him about uh, his opinion of the things he saw them talking about on the One World by Night list servers, uh, you know, people and, and the like. He said, you know, just, just talking about the weird politics. I'm not even talking the in-character politics. I'm talking the out-of-character politics and the complaints and the what. It's not fair that I can't kill every, the Justicar and blah, blah, blah. He was like, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> so I remember him telling me that. Yeah, this no, is when we, we were testing out the the uh, Werewolf Wild West LARP rules. Uh, he'd sent us a copy, and we played it out in Phoenix because uh, they 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 were doing um, Werewolf Wild West had come out, and this is ninety nine. He sent me a copy of the LARP rules, and I did, and we played, tested it, and gave him our notes. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's out there somewhere. I think uh, it's like yeah, for just LARP rules for Werewolf the Wild West, the unique gifts, all that kind of stuff. So so, but yeah, I, 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 I yeah, like I said. Trolling LARPers. <laughs> it was definitely a thing in the 90s. So you live up in, uh, do you, are you living in Wisconsin right now? or? Uh, yep. Yeah, we're both in Madison, actually. Oh, you're in Madison? Okay, okay, yeah. You know, you've been talking about your Madison event. And it's funny, too, in the world of darkness, Madison was, uh, at least I remember in the 90s, for whatever reason, like a, an anarch council ran Madison Yep. Um, in the early source books. So Sounds right. Yep, we, yeah, we kind of yeah. tried to use a little bit of that as well in our setting. Um, we have it uh, ran, ran by Anerx after a certain point. We had like a um, some uh, craziness that kind of happened at the beginning of, of the history. We have this all on our website. We've got a whole like detailed out history of our, our setting and what kind of happened from the beginning of Madison's creation to the year 2007 when we, we, we run our one shots that we're going to be doing at uh, conventions. Well, I'm a big believer too. It's like you don't have to be a slave to the continuity. If White Wolf says this, but if like your development and the way you've played it out have made things go in a completely different direction, it's like by all means do what works best for your game. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Create your setting. White Wolf is is a guide for for how you for you to create a world, and they have a, a guiding meta plot. Um, but if you, it would be ridiculous for them, for anybody to expect somebody who bought the game, you know, in 19, what was it? 1992 or 93 when it came out? Uh, and, 92. And, and, and then to demand that, that if you Late had a troop that for yeah. whatever reason was able to keep playing the same game for 15 years up to, or, you know, or whatever, like 10 some odd plus years of the meta plot that they created, there's just no way like you you're going to create your own story half the justice cards are going to be named something different or dead in your game you know like it's there's no way that um that you're going to hold to what white wolf is doing um but it, white wolf does i do like how much white wolf does give you um and that many of their source books are just additions to 
the the world meta plot for you and the and the con and getting deep dives into the different um you know niche areas of of mage or vampire or werewolf or whatever there's two sides to that too and this is something i would like to comment on this is like my little chance to get on a crate milk crate and talk um because you have one group of players who are going to dig through every book. And I was kind of sort of one of them. And they're going to quote everything, chapter and verse, like it is the gospel. And just basically say, no, no, no. In this one obscure line, in this one obscure book, it says this happens. So it has to be like that. But then you have other players who are like, well, no, I mean, everything kind of conflicts. And, you know, and who knows what the truth really is. And really, and then when you think about it, if you're a mage player, that you, you, that's the perspective you really need to approach things from. That's even oh, yeah. mage's core presumption hey who knows what the objective truth is and the problem is you have way too many players who cling to uh, maybe their truth or they read things a certain way and then they get in just arguments about continuity and it's like look we're dealing with the continuity of vampires and werewolves i remember there was a larper <laughs> complaining about something wasn't realistic i said realistic you're talking about a game with vampires and werewolves we left realism several excess back. I mean, I understand what he was point was his point was, but the, the idea is 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 yeah, it's like you really can't um, depend on even the published things from a game that say this, that, and the other to be the objective truth when things can always change. And in many in many cases, especially a lot of the source books, these were written from someone's perspective, and it may be that they are themselves passing on what is not necessarily the truth. So. Yeah, no, and that's and I like how White Wolf does a lot of their books are kind of from the point of view of a character. Um, so it's a lot of the so the material you kind of get from like what is yes. being told to you is being told to you by a person who is completely and utterly fallible or could be lying their ass off. Um, and I always just fall back to the golden rule. There is no re like it's all up to the GM in the end. You know, like it's yes. their world. They decide which books to add in, especially when you're adding in. If you're going off and finding random source materials that the GM has never read before, be do not be surprised when the GM says, oh, that is not in my world. Like that has nothing exactly. like, you know, if if we're playing Vampire the Masquerade and you're playing a Giovanni and the GM knows nothing about Wraith and you go grab Wraith and show him how this is all the stuff that you want to do. And he's like, well, I already spent, you know, 45 hours on my Wraith setting because I didn't know this books existed. And I have <laughs> a whole different setup for how I do the 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 afterlife in and it's like well that's what then it's the gm's world like it's their world that's just the way that it is exactly um on the other hand it's like like i said if you're if you, they have to be somewhat prepared so if you explain to them hey i'm using mind two and i'm giving i'm making uh, an extended uh role to give myself an arcane of five and i'm leaving this scene so that everyone forgets i was here you can't have the storyteller be like, uh, I don't really know if you can if you can do that. It's like, sure, I can. And at, le at least you have the documentation showing that maybe a uh, write-up showing you can do it and give them the chance to make the ruling as to whether or not to in integrate it. But again, it's, it's it's a I see it as a, as a give and take. It's like the player makes suggestions of like, look, I think I can do this, that, and the other. The storyteller uh, you know, decides what works within their game. But at yep. least the storyteller well, needs to have the understanding of the rules, the base yep. rules, and don't bring in things if you're not ready to deal with the ramifications don't bring in mages if you're not willing to deal with everything spear magic can do which is literally everything don't bring in changelings mm -hmm. if you're not willing to deal with the continuity of changeling 
Yep, and, or uh, if you're yeah. going to be bringing in these things and you have different ways of handling it and different rules, that should be explained. You know, that's yeah. that, that's always upfront type of thing. And I think that Tabletop is usually really good about that. Tabletop is really well known for its house rules. Um, LARP definitely, from my experience, has, um, you know, house rules to a certain degree, but it's, you know, the source of truth, you know, they try to use the book as being, so if you read the main source book, you get the idea of, of what the rules are, and the GM should know what those those rules are, the mechanics behind the game. Um, the GM is, is open to throwing those rules out the window when he wants to ex expedite story or whatever, you know, how, whatever the reason is. Um, but you know, at the end, in the end, it's all about making sure people are having fun and it's not fun when somebody comes in to a game and they're like, well, I expected based upon all the rules and, and a, a, a truthful under, you know, taking of looking at what the rules allow me to do. And now you're just throwing that out the window because you just don't like those rules and that was never something that's been presented before exactly um like i said those give and take i remember we had a, mm. a larp and uh one world by night it was a new york city larp and the storyteller didn't really understand some things about the larger world of darkness because he was insisting that the prince had ordered the tremere to destroy the level five cairn in central park and i was like that's <laughs> no the tremere cannot just cast a ritual to destroy a level five cairn uh, or if, or at least the Tremere in New York City can. Even if the Council of Seven could, that's going to create such a supernatural ripple that even the technocracy is going to be like, okay, time for us to orbit the nukes overhead and uh, <laughs> and take care. I'm 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 talking destroying a level five node is something that will definitely get the technocracy's attention. So you can't have all seeing, all knowing Tremere magically whisk away your problems in a game. Because again, there's always a bigger fish, and you, like I said, as you can as you can understand, but this vampire storyteller didn't. You know, you can't a level five note is not something that the Tremere can just can just uh, ritualize away. So yeah, it'd be pretty yeah. terrifying if they could. I mean, there's there's always possibilities of different things. Um, you know, there's there's always stories within stories of why things are possible eventually, but it, it's to just do a simple whisk away is that's kind of crazy. Like, but I'm I mean, just spitballing you know, here. I'm gonna have to say it takes a minimum of at least entropy six and prime six and like thirty successes to even try something like that, and and be ready for everything, every supernatural creature with an interest to start attacking you. So I'm just saying, just bold. throwing it out there. Yeah. Oh. Oh my God. Yes. But yeah. So. um so we are coming up here on an hour. Um, it's been great talking with you. I, um, one of the last things that we kind of do too is if you've got any um, shout outs that you want to give or any projects that you're currently working on, um, you know, just uh, just a little bit of time for you to kind of just get up on the soapbox and, and shout out to whatever you want. Uh, nothing other than just to say that, uh, you know, I think gaming, uh, I, I want to really say that I'm looking forward to us getting back to conventions in mm -hmm. 2021. And I really am supporting everyone. Uh, there was a comic book convention coming up in two weeks here where I live, which is Fargo, North Dakota. And I'm looking forward to going to it. And I'm talking a real face-to-face -face convention. And uh, we're coming out of COVID. It's been a really rough year, I think, for everybody. And I think we've all made it. And I want to thank you all for having me. And like I said, it was fun sharing my memories. Um, I, maybe sometime I can come back again. But more importantly, it was great just chatting away with people because I remember these things when they started. And just a lot of interesting stuff. And I'm so glad that people are still getting a lot out of the world of darkness. It was definitely it was definitely a big thing in the 90s. And it definitely changed the landscape of gaming. 
uh, overnight, it seemed. So it was definitely something that was important to a lot of us. And we, uh, those of us who were there at the time, we loved it. And it's definitely a, a part of my life that uh, I'll always cherish and I'll always remember fondly. So, and I'm, I'm glad that you all are, are in it and enjoying it too. And I'm looking forward to, as well to see what Onyx Path does in the future and with the future uh, LARP publications that come out. And I'm looking forward to see everything that we see in the future. And, and I'm not taking it for granted. I'm enjoying what they're doing and enjoying the, just the contributions that people are continuing to make. So I want to thank everybody for that. And I'll see people at conventions. And I hope we all are able to get out there this year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show here, Michael. And I uh, just want to give a couple other shout outs here for the different kind of podcasts that exist out there. Um, mm-hmm. Twin Cities by Night um, has awesome actual plays. Go check them out. Um, we'll have links for all of this in our show notes, um, as well as on our brand new website that we have. Um, so go definitely check out Twin Cities by Night for some cool actual plays. Uh, Midnight Looking Express Podcast um, has some really good stuff. Um, there's Utility Muffin Labs um, that has really good, um, you know, just an array of different kind of podcasts that he's done over the years. 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade, um, the 2D10 podcast that he's doing right now that kind of just goes over a lot of different World, World of Darkness stuff. Great interviews that he has on there. Um, the Dark Age, World of Dark Ages podcast, if you want to learn all about the Dark Ages, definitely check them out. And of course, Mage the Podcast, um, just a beautiful amount of information out there. Um, you know, Terry knows so much about the world of darkness and Mage the Ascension. It just blows me away every time that I talk to him about a- anything. Like, as he popped in recently here today to to explain yeah. the uh, the good old what happened with Sharon here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Terry. Um, and if you enjoyed our show here, please feel uh, to give us a like, a follow, a thumbs down, thumbs up, whatever, you know, just, uh, t- just uh, you know, do the things that people talk about. We're on, uh, you know, Twitch channel. Um, we've got YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. You can find all of these on our new website, theageofstories.com. Um, we just got that up and running. That also has, like, information on our Madison Under Siege setting, our Technogate setting. Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely check it out all out. And I hope that, uh, hope that you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, and don't forget to to tune in to our Mage of the Ascension game, Technogate 1999 on Monday nights at 7 PM central time on Twitch at twitch.tv slash golden age stories. And remember that's golden spelled G U L D A N. Oh, and we did have one question from Terry that I kind of answered in chat, but there's some some maps back here. So this is this is cross country, cross country and GTA um, online. That, that those are the two maps that I have. And I, my wife played cross country back in the day. I've never played it, but it seems like an interesting trucker game. Um, and GTA Five, I'm sure. Grand Theft Auto for those who are not familiar with the acronym. Uh, but awesome well thank you all for listening thank you all for being here and we'll be back next week um, and we'll be also publishing a lot more bonus episodes of our actual play as well as much much more so thank you all for tuning in have a great night thanks again michael thank you